the founders and the entrepreneurs who say, oh, we never really think about the exit. Uh, we're only building it for the, um, are essentially lying either to themselves or to the outside world. So welcome to Factor Daily Outliers, Rafat. And uh, it's, a really, uh, it's really a pleasure to have you on this podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a big fan of what you're doing and uh, I'm glad to be on here. <laughs> Thanks to the, the glitches, you have said that at least half a dozen times. It feels really good. Thank you, Rafat. I'm getting better at saying it every time, so that's good too. <laughs> uh, let me start by asking you, Rafat, uh, since you've been a digital media warrior for so long, uh, how was it building uh, the first venture and how is it building Skift altogether? Were there any lessons from the last time that you applied? Uh, what what was success or failure like? How is it going? Yeah, so um, my first company paid content, which was um, essentially a, a blog that turned into a media company, um, was an accidental company. I'm, I'm not an entrepreneur. Uh, or at least wasn't uh, when I started it. I've, our family has no history of it. Um, and so uh, it was essentially um, unplanned in many ways. And uh, the, the work culture, the type of things we created were, were you know, made, al- made up along the way. Um, and it, you know, it turned into a, a company and that would, that I sold and then, and then left. But with Skift, which is now uh, almost five years old, uh, in, in I think three months we're we're turning five years old, so we're excited about that. Um, it was a it's a much more deliberate effort. Um, I think in general uh, this is true, but doesn't get talked about tons in the startup ecosystem per se. Is that really the biggest job you have in the first few years is to survive, is to essentially make sure that you don't die uh, as a company. And um, and and especially true, obviously, in the first, I think, like three three years or something. And we've done that, and uh, and now you know we have the luxury of being able to to look beyond just surviving into actually creating a long lasting business. And um, we've been very deliberate. I think uh, my co-founder and I. Um, Jason Clampett uh, is my co-founder. He and I have been very deliberate in how we um, look at the world of travel. Uh, how do we look at the world at large that affects the business of travel? Um, how do we create a media company that has a culture that people want to be at and stay at and create something meaningful Um Instead of being manic, which is typically how a lot of the online media startups are run, um, in our case, in many ways, um, in many ways, we're trying to create to create a more deliberate company. Um, I think some of the lessons that we took from our first company that we brought uh, to my second company is um, is one having an understanding of the big picture. Um, in many ways, paid content was connecting dots across a bunch of sectors that were 
not seen as unified back then, like the newspaper industry and music industry and and the entertainment industry were all separate industries historically. But with digital, they all sort of collapsed into each other. Um, and um, uh, and that meant that a media company that was covering the business of it needed to have a big picture view of, of the world. And, um, and I think we brought that with Skift in travel, where uh, travel is a is a is a amalgamation of a bunch of sectors together. Um, that we're trying to see the big picture of where the world is going, where the world of travel is going, how consumer behavior is changing. So, so that we brought from the previous company. The other thing that we brought from my previous company, I think, is having an um, an attitude and a and an opinion about everything um and and you know what what people call voice and you need to have a stand a point of view a voice um in this very cr- crowded world how do you stand out as a brand and i think that has been a big part of what i what i learned in my previous company is how to have a voice um and with skift um, from day one, that was the biggest uh, thing that we tried to create, which is to have a point of view. Um, and that stood out. And I think that's in many ways um, in the in the business media world of travel, where the historically the, the, the media companies have been very cozy with the industry, we were not. And uh, by being fiercely independent and not being shy about it, I think we've created our, uh, that, that's been a big part of, of where we are today. It's, it's a very interesting point you make, Rafat. And I myself, uh, as a storyteller, as a journalist, have watched many entrepreneurs and companies struggle uh, with the balance, with, with you know keeping that balance of having a voice and serving uh, an industry or being part of an industry. What you're saying, it, it looks you know quite tough to practice. Have there been challenges for you? Because if you're part of that niche, how can you have strong opinions uh, and and a voice that would also be at times question uh, a lot of them? How has that been for you? Yeah, I mean, uh, the challenges every day um, as an entrepreneur, as a a founder, as a CEO. Um, I think that one of the things that people by we're not contrarian for the sake of being contrarian. We're not, we're not like a rage against the machine type of media company that, that obviously some of them exists. We're not a, you know, we're not an activist media company. We're a business media company. Um, so, um, if we cover the bad parts of the industry, we'll also cover the good parts of the industry as well. Or if we cover, um, challenges with a company for instance a company like airbnb which obviously we cover very heavily just if we've been covering you know for five years now since we started um it's a company that has had tons of challenges uh, both internal and external um and external are pretty well known which is that you know it's in many parts of the world or in most parts of the world airbnb type companies have been illegal um and uh, regulatory laws have not caught up. So, um, and was and is the company 
uh, had the comp and did the company realize what it was its impact on the larger ecosystem of cities of regulations etc so we have been very harsh in terms of coverage of Airbnb over the years um, on some of those fronts but we've also been very um, appreciative of the innovation that is brought to the market how it's changed consumer behavior in so many ways um, all kinds of other innovations that is bringing to the field and that it's um it's certainly changed in terms of how it approaches uh, cities in many ways over the years as, as they've grown up. So I think that companies like Airbnb uh, that are here for the long term realize that they're not going anywhere, we're not going anywhere. And so um, I think they appreciate, I think this is where open communication is important between uh, a media company like ours and players in the industry. Um, that they realize that if we cover something what they would con consider as negative today, if they do something good, we'll also cover it if it makes sense. So I think that balance, um, and it's our job as um, as a media company to make sure that they understand that part. So I think that's why, um, you know, from the example of Airbnb, um, I'll continue. We're, we still cover them very aggressively, but they're also uh, some parts of the business are also working with us on the research side, on the sponsorship side. So while we continue to cover them pretty fairly, we think. And so I think they have a respect for what we do. And this is true for a lot of other companies. So I think that's the way to do it. No, I think that, that that's quite an answer. I mean, even for uh, a rookie media entrepreneur like me, uh, thank you for that, Rafat. The other question I have is building a media startup in a world where, where, where people always paint the gloomy picture and the, the war of the platforms. So mm -hmm. how, how do you build an identity in, in, in that world? How do you keep it up when everything around you is being pa painted gloomy? Yeah, I think that one of the challenges for media companies like like ours and yours and anybody who starts new is that um, it's very easy to get swept up in the headlines or uh, you know media analysts or uh, what I call media types, um, people who uh, talk about the future of media constantly um, without actually having worked in it or actively working in it. So I think that in many ways, while it's hard to not participate in some of those, um, uh, it's if there's a way for founders to uh, to um, to sort of ignore the noise. And I think the biggest thing is how do you build a relationship with your users, audience, whatever you want to call them, readers. Um, how do you build a direct relationship with your with your readers? I think that's kind of the biggest thing that that I've learned over the years uh, with my first company. Um, back then, obviously, social media did not exist. Um, and, you know, with Skift, obviously, social media has changed a lot in the fast, last five years. Nobody calls it social media anymore. It's platforms. Um, and so I think creating a direct relationship with users, if that's what you keep in mind, building a company, I think it'll help you navigate a lot of the noise and a lot of the negative... Um, uh, negative buzz about media and the challenges that it faces and what that leads you to do is essentially focus on 
figuring out who the core of your users are and then figure out a way to super serve them uh, in many ways. Um, and I think that's, it's true for primarily most of the vertical media companies, companies that are focused on a specific subject or a specific region, um, but also increasingly becoming more true of um, a lot of the larger companies as well. Um, I was reading something this morning with uh, Mashable CEO Pete Cashmore, um, and I've been critical of, of, of Mashable in the past. From an editorial point of view, I, I do respect hugely what Pete has built as a company, especially as an outsider who came in, a young young kid really from Scotland, um, built something big. Um, but he was he spoke at some conference yesterday, and he was also there. They've tried to figure out their focus, and their focus they've figured out is to essentially what what they call we are for the super fans. I don't completely understand what that means, but but uh, but but I think they they do understand that and. So one of his things is we're not chasing scale for scale's sake. What we learned pulling back from chasing scale for sale's sake over the last, I think, whatever, one and a half, two years, whatever they've been doing, um, is that the number, the engagement has gone up dramatically, which um, without, uh, even though the, the, the overall sort of pace of growth in terms of traffic of new people has fallen down, the engagement has increased a lot. So I think that's a lesson that we learned as well. Initially, we were chasing, um, if not big scale, but we were we were trying to chase. Um, you know, we were doing slideshows and um, all kinds of other stuff early on um, that we pulled back on, and um, and as we learned what people really wanted from us, what our users really wanted from us was more long form deep analysis reporting um research about different parts of the travel industry and in fact even though the volume of the stories that we have done has fallen down dramatically in the last you know two three years um the engagement has gone up the traffic has not fallen at all um has been increasing and um obviously our revenues are increasing too so in many ways, I think that understanding the core of your users um, and trying to build a direct relationship with them is really how to navigate this world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, since you're talking about uh, users and, and, and understanding them, engaging with them, working with them, how is it uh, like to make them pay for content? And uh, there are large uh, you know, media houses who've been trying this. There are niche ones that are attempting this. Uh, what are your overall thoughts on, on, on that front? Yeah, seeing that I'm the paid content guy, I think I have some views on it. Um, and um, in many ways, what we start, what I started covering back with paid content, uh, what is it now, 2002, 15 years now, um, in many ways, a lot of things have come full circle. Um, it's become a lot easier for people to pay um, now compared to back, you know, 15 years ago online uh, through mobile, etc. Um, I, I think that um, the pe- people being able to uh, charge for uh, media in general is essentially a, a two. Uh, there, there are two different types of companies that can do it. One is a very large 
company that has the the muscle to do very different um, type of journalism. Oh, sorry, very original type of journalism that uh, that they have a mass of users to charge from. So New York Times is an example. Um, Washington Post is an example. Um, Wall Street Journal is also an example. Obviously, they came from the business world. Increasingly, now beyond business, they're covering you know all, all parts. Um, and so, uh, there's these large companies that have a large audience, and then out of that large audience, you can convert an X number of people, and then you have a a large subscription business, um, but also a large advertising business because there's it's a large enough audience. Um, the other end is obviously small companies like ours um, and many others that um, are focused on a subject, have a differentiated audience. Uh, in our case, we we have we, we, we have both um, advertising and for us that means branded content only, um, and then subscriptions and but but it's two different products, and I think that's true for a lot of these smaller media companies where um, where. It doesn't make sense to charge to first be free and then charge for the same product. I think it, well, what it makes sense is to have different products that you can charge for, um, and then other products that you can um, have an advertising revenue stream in. So um, the problem is in the middle. And so if you are a company that is, let's say, a consumer company, but not huge in the 10 to 15 to 20 million page views, which these days is small. Um, uniques a month, which these days is pretty small, um, then you have a problem. And so um, I think it's the middle is death in many ways in media. And But I do think that on one end, these large companies, on the other end, these smaller companies. Yeah, that, 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 that's interesting. Uh, let, let me shift to gears and ask you another question about just, you know, building culture in... Uh, new media company. Now, as media company and journalists, we are always questioning the companies we track, the founders we track on on the culture and everything. Uh, yeah. Having worked in media organizations myself, I have seen how how media as a sector really sucks at it. Uh, so, so, so how what is your view of organizational culture? What is the culture at Skift? And how do you build it? Uh, how do you protect it? Um, yeah, so, um, you're very right. It's interesting that a lot of us journalists, um, and media companies cover, um, management and, and company culture and organizational behavior, etc. for lots of companies. And this is true these days, especially in tech, where there's a lot of spotlight on all kinds of issues in, in us, in India, in, you know, in, in a lot of other places, um, versus our own cultures uh, at media companies. And it typically, um, you know, historically, a lot of the culture at most of the mainstream media has been defined by editorial, um, which um, in many ways is sort of a newsroom-led culture, which, um, which newsrooms by definition are messy. So um, that led to sort of unorganized culture, if you will, at many companies. And the internet came along and then sped up that culture. And so now every journalist assumes and is expected to churn a lot. So, you know, churn and churn and burn is a big part of the culture at a lot of digital media startups. That's why there's a lot of turnover as well. Um, 
by focusing the company on sort of slower journalism, if you will, and that's what we've done in many ways. Um, I think one of the things that that we've done is we um, evaluate everything we do from a lens of is it going to make the lives of our journalists or our people in our company better or is it going to make it worse? And um, and that is essentially the first question we ask when we make a lot of decisions uh, of expansion or new products, et cetera, that we launch at the company. So um, we have been very deliberate about the culture. My previous company was, as I mentioned, an accidental company. So culture sort of just got created without me having tons of understanding of it. Um, as a small company, media company in New York in a very competitive probably the world's most competitive media market in terms of talent um, for us to attract uh, the right kind of talent that one comes to the company and two stays at the company for a long time and three creates a lot of great work um, you have to focus a lot on culture uh, you have no choice but to and so you know a lot of my time is spent um, on making sure that um, that that a lot of one-on-one things happen, which is that the editorial is very separate from advertising, even though in this day and age, uh, each side knows what the other side is doing. I don't, I don't think there's any uh, sense of insulating one side from the other. Um, so there's a lot of that. Um, we also put a lot of effort, what we call living our brand. So we are, brand, obviously we are travel media company. So we embrace a lot of the larger promises of travel um, to the progressive curiosity about the world. Um, people um, who work at Skift love travel. Obviously, there's no, nobody at Skift does not love travel because that would not work. Um, and um, so much so that, you know, we, um, it's, um, in, it's been about 25 months since anybody willingly left uh, Skift uh, to take up another job. And so, um, and that's a result of, um, you know, obviously we fire people, you hire people and, you know, you, you hire five people and, and, you know, three or four work out and, and the rest don't. So we let people go, but, um, but, but nobody has willingly left Skift. And so, um, so that tells you something about our culture. I think that um, one of my challenges has been uh, to our journalists. Now we have ten uh, full time, and then a bunch of freelancers as well. Is to periodically remind them that you don't have to churn, that you don't have to produce X number of stories, because we're not evaluating you based on the number of stories. Um, uh, we're evalu- evaluating you based on the deeper impact stories that, that you're doing about the industry. Um, and so, um, and it's amazing that these people have been at Skip for a while, and even then the churn mentality is so ingrained into journalist psyche that, it's, that, that you have to constantly remind them. And so, you know, that's a big part of what we do. Um, we travel a lot together. We do, we, we eat a lot together. Um, we, a big part of our culture is... Um, I'm a big uh, believer in energy in the company and positive energy. Um, and if anybody is down, um, has a, has low energy in the company, I will feel it. It just is the nature of our work. And so 
you know, when we try and hire people, I think energy and the culture fit and not having negative energies is one of the biggest criterias. Um, so I can keep on talking about it because this is a thing that, that, you know, I think deeply about and work on deeply about. But, but essentially, uh, I think there's a way to create a deeper, more meaningful culture uh, uh, in a media company. Sure, sure. Oh, no, that, that, that's helpful. Uh, that's really helpful. Uh, on a more final note, Rafael, uh, what is the end game here? Why are you doing what you are doing? What do you think of Skift uh, in, in, in a few years from now, a decade from now? Do you spend too much of time thinking about these things? I mean, what, what do you really want? Yeah, um, I do think quite a bit about it. Be, I would lie to say, and I think that the founders and the entrepreneurs who say, oh, we never really think about the exit. Uh, we're only building it for, the, um, are essentially lying either to themselves or to the outside world. Um, I do think it makes sense to have an understanding of what the potential outcome is. Obviously, in in most of the cases, people have taken venture money. Um, we have taken venture capital, but um, small venture capital, we took you know three three million, which these days is pretty small. Um, and we haven't officially raised since like 2013 or something. Um, so uh, now you know we're funded by revenue. So um, I think that you know in our case, um, we think that there's a lot of opportunity for us to continue building in um, uh, in travel, and we're looking now beyond travel uh, to the, um, restaurants and the business, um, what we call the business of dining out. So we bought this newsletter last year called Chef's Tech, which is a weekly newsletter that we can expand into something big um, along the lines of what we've done with Skift and Travel. So... Um, we think we have a lot of runway to to continue to build uh, both from a, from travel, um, go international in terms of our coverage of the travel industry, go deeper into various parts of travel, um, doing that in, in an adjacent sector as well. Um, but if somebody comes along and, and you know gives us a strategic runway to do something bigger, um, you know we will look at it. But um, but, and, and I think it's good to have a discipline uh, of what would make a potential buyer look at your company. What are the revenue streams that are stable that can be built for long term that a buyer would be interested in? I think that's a good discipline to have. Um, I'm reading this book uh, called Finish Big, which is a, a really good book. Um, and not many, like a lot of startup books are about... Um, you know, starting a company. None of them are about how to sell your company. Um, this is a book about how to sell your company, but not just that, but how to build your company such that you're more disciplined in terms of, and you're ready when the time comes. And then what happens after, and are you ready for what happens after? Because in, in, you know, in so many of these acquisitions, as you very well know, um, they don't go well and the founders leave and they get, you know, mad at the company that buys them. So uh, it's a very good book that I'm reading that's having a lot of effect on me. But in general, um, uh, you know, for us, for now, there's so much to do, but I'm also cognizant of uh, long-term 
our investors are expecting returns, um, and so are you know our employees. <laughs> Good to know that. I mean, at least you are so candid about it, uh, and like you rightly said, uh, some founders make it sound so sinful to even talk about uh, the fact that uh, there could be a potential exit. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's um, you know why all companies either get. Um, bought or they do an IPO, there's no third way to do it. I mean, you, you remain independent and then you, but even if you remain independent, at some point there has to be some sort of an exit. So in that case, it's an IPO. Um, if you've taken venture money, there has to be some exit. It's just a fact of life. Or even if you haven't taken venture money, at some point, you know, you'll get tired of it or you'll burn out or, um, you know, you may want to do larger things in life beyond, you know, a company that creates uh, creates media. And so um, I do think people have to be realistic about it. Thank you so much, Rafat. I mean, uh, this was really insightful and really candid uh, helps uh, a lot, especially for rookie entrepreneurs like me. And more power to you and Godspeed. All right. Thank you very much.